Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's the bedroom sessions all over again. It feels like I'm in lockdown from COVID, even though we're far from it, I suppose. Maybe unless you live in my building. It's a whole other story. Well, I mean, in all fairness, the reason we're doing bedroom sessions, if you can hear from my voice, is because I'm very... I don't have COVID, but I uh, I have back-to-school germs, so I had almost no voice yesterday. Back-to-school germs. Yeah, they're back-to-school I heard a mother, who's also a teacher, call it school snot. You know, as soon as the kids go back, they're all just snotty and gross for like the first couple of months. So my kids had a bit of a cold... Did you see a teacher call called it school snot? She did, yeah. She called it school snot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the kids went back to school, and at the beginning of this week, they both had a little bit of a cold, but like, like kids, snot? they yeah. were just like fully back to normal after 24 hours. Well, why so, wouldn't they be? Exactly, because they're kids. And, of course, then mom gets it, and I'm now on, what, day three of sounding like this, so I haven't been able to go into the office because no human is going to want to be around me. And our guest that's here tonight, Victoria, was supposed to come meet us in person, and I was really looking forward to it, and then, yeah. This you're, is... you're probably sick more from being run down from, like, a week of... A week of doing stuff at a conference, that probably has more to do I, with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a contributing factor. So for anyone who doesn't know, Mark and I are um, two of the organizers of the Canadian Massage Conference. Dun, dun, dun. And that just wrapped up this past Sunday. So we're at Friday now. Uh, but basically from Wednesday last week until Sunday, we were nonstop running on fumes. Like I don't think we slept at all. Every night we were... It's no different. We me. were on the conference floor setting things up, getting ready for the next day. And then I had For to me, it's like, really funny to watch all these cats that normally don't, normally don't do this stuff. Like they get sleep to go and not get sleep to watch them just go, oh... This fucking sucks. I'm like, this is my regular, guys. Yeah, you're a robot. I <laughs> I definitely am not. But yeah, we were like working nonstop, almost like 24 hours a day. I wish I was exaggerating. And then during the day, I had to be everyone's hype girl. Like I was on the microphone trying to get everybody excited. And, you know, I was on the stage. And, and she was wearing this big clock around her. <laughs> around her. <laughs> and I was so tired. So yes, that's probably why I'm sick. Flavor, anyway, flavor. enough about us. So coming off of the conference uh, this this past week, we got this really nice Instagram message from Victoria, who's here with us over Zoom, saying that she's been listening to the podcast and she had some really cool stuff to share. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so like, I wanted to get on this instantly and I invited her to come in and well, now you understand why she couldn't. So Victoria, thank you and sorry about all the confusion and changes and thank you for still hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, no worries. My mom was a uh, teacher for elementary school. So I am very aware of the school snot that happens. Yep. She would get sick every September. Yep. And uh, I we just kind of stayed away from her for about a week. Did she call it school snot? <laughs> She did not. She didn't have that eloquent of a term. <laughs> School's not. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Anyway, let's get right into it. So, Victoria, instead of me actually introducing you, because I sound disgusting, um, for everybody listening, can we get a background on you, who you are, what you do, um, and then we'll... And we'll why get... are you listening to our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, go ahead, Victoria. <laughs> yeah, so obviously I'm Victoria. Um, so I actually um, listen to your podcast because I am a podcast junkie. Um, I love podcasts and I love education. So I, you know, I um, have been to school a few times. Um, 
more recently, I went back to school for massage therapist. So now I'm a massage therapist for the last few years and been loving that. And then I'm also a personal trainer, uh, clinical hypnotherapist. And then I also have kind of melded things into a uh, chronic pain and wellness coach. So I own my own uh, practice in Muskoka. And then I also do one day a week at a uh, addiction treatment center in Muskoka, uh, massaging as well as doing uh, patient and client education. Um, and then I also do the occasional stop up further north at the Shawanaga Healing Center to do massage and some hypnotherapy for the folks up there. And then I'm also going to be talking at their uh, Aging Well uh, seminar. So that's a bit about me. Wow. I don't even know where to start. You do so many things. I want to start this here. Why why massage school? You only did that a couple of years ago, you said? What was doing before massage school and then why why massage? Yeah. So um, I originally, a few years now, <laughs> as I'm getting older, it's quite a few years now, but I originally went to school for hotel and restaurant management. Okay. And then I fell into salons and spas, which is funny because I was always, you know, very athletic, very outdoorsy. And so I never envisioned myself going into salons and spas and I kind of fell into it. And I'm really happy I did because I recognized that there's this whole world of helping people that seemed very superficial, but it wasn't. Um, and then I managed a few different locations. I did the retail side. I did the in-person side. And the last place I worked, I kind of ran it for a owner who was like totally hands off. Like I did his HST remittance. I did his payroll. I did his hiring, mm. firing. I did front desk training. Like, And we had massage therapists that worked there. And I remember writing their paychecks and being like, I feel like I'm underpaid. <laughs> <laughs> and... It was really nice that everybody coming out of their room, you always love your massage therapist. Yep. You know, it's not like you're going to the dentist and if they had a problem, they would never deal with their massage therapist. They would always deal with reception. And I was like, I feel like I need a bit more autonomy in my life and maybe this is the way to get it. So I actually went into it not knowing what I was really getting into and totally falling in love with that industry. Did you like having a hands-off employer or were you like, man, I'm, I'm, why am I doing all this stuff? Someone give me some guidance. Or are you the type of person that's like, yeah, I'll just do everything because I want it done a certain way anyway. So let me just go with it. A bit of both. I um, I had to create Excel spreadsheets for him to prove the work I was doing because I was worried in my mind, I was like, you're so hands-off that I could literally be stealing from your company and you would have no idea. Right. So it's like, I feel like I need some transparency here so that we have, you know, enough understanding of where each of us is coming from. And then when I have an ask that's monetary that I need the okay from you, you can see the information kind of backing that. So I did like, you know, having things, you know, run my own stuff, but sometimes it was frustrating to have that line of he didn't understand the vision that I had and I didn't really understand his vision because I don't know if he had a huge vision to be honest I think he kind of bought it because he thought it was just a moneymaker yeah I don't know well he had a hell of a lot of trust in you and I mean doing all of that I'd say the other the other downfalls obviously you were definitely being underpaid like you ran this guy's entire business and you weren't the one bringing home all the money yeah no and I actually, that's the reason I left was I was thinking about going back to school. And because I'm an overachiever, I was like, maybe I'll go back to school part-time and then keep this full-time job managing. And when I was kind of starting to talk through it, he made a comment about feeling like he paid me too much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it made it very easy to just 
plunge right in and quit my full-time job to go back to school. What was the exposure to massage other than the workplace? A very little, actually. I had, uh, growing up, I played sports and I had an amazing physiotherapist. Right. Um, she was very hands-on and like, unlike a lot of other physios I've met, because to be honest, it's very hit and miss, like any industry. Absolutely. Um, but she was, she was really great. She helped me a lot with, you know, headaches, migraines. And um, so I had been exposed to some manual therapy, not specifically massage though. So when you, when you, when you hit up school and you see the curriculum in front of you and you've been working where you've been working, are you like, what the fuck did I just get into? Or are you like, I'm an overachiever, bring all this shit on? Definitely, I'm an overachiever. I, I researched what I was getting into before I like officially plunged. I'm I'm a researcher. <laughs> where did you go to school? I went uh, at, in Stony Creek, the Ontario College of Health and Technology. Uh, okay. We're very familiar with uh, yeah. that school and that school owner is a fabulous lady. Yes, yes, she is. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned in your intro that you also do hypnotherapy. Did that come before or after massage school? It came after. It was uh, sprinkled in before, I will, I guess during, I listened to a podcast and there was a woman who is a psychologist and a uh, hypnotherapist and she spoke on another podcast that I love and she just said a few things that blew my mind. And it made me start to think about that brain-body connection differently than I'd ever thought of it before. I need more. What was said in that podcast that that turned... So she essentially uh, used hypnotherapy to treat infertility in a lot of women. And I was like, um, how? How on earth do you treat a physical condition using hypnotherapy? And so this is just one example of one of the physical ailments she treats using hypnotherapy and regressions as regressions are when you go back into you know the younger you that all that inner child work we all love um and what was really interesting so what she talked about was when she was doing these hypnotherapy sessions for infertility specifically what was a common theme that came up in these women was they would go back in time and where they were stuck in their life and their point was you know, I'm 16 years old again. If I get pregnant, my dad's going to kill me. Or mm. I can't get pregnant right now. My boyfriend would leave me. I can't get pregnant right now because X, Y, and Z. And it was this reoccurring theme. And she recognized that she was, they were telling their own body not to allow fertility because there was a danger aspect to it. And it was unsafe for them to be pregnant. We got we to gotta backtrack this. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Cool. <laughs> you're working up in Muskoka. I assume that you're living up in Muskoka. How the hell yep. do you go to school in Stony Creek? Let's I'm here. originally from uh, Hamilton. I was living in Hamilton at the time. And then I, before I was going to school, I was commuting to Oakville every day, which is soul sucking. <laughs> um, so I knew I did not want to do that for the rest of my life. Yeah. And uh, my partner, his mom lives up in Perry Sound and we were up there visiting and we were, went for a bike ride. And it was honestly like something out of a movie. Everybody was just like, hello, neighbor. Hello. And we're like, should we just move here? <laughs> so we did. You're working in Oakville as a massage therapist? No. No. This was before I went to school. Okay. Yeah. When I was in school, I um, I just worked part-time at um, like a salon, gotcha. just doing reception, the, you know, the thing I knew. So Muskoka is like the first stop after massage school. Yeah. Is that yeah. Was cool. Mm-hmm. I know someone that works up in Muskoka area. She does very, very well for herself because 
she services the very rich cottage community. Yeah, she's got a lot of affluent clients. It's insane how well she does. Her her photos yeah. of like, this is my office today, like treating people on their beautiful docks in front of their like $3 million cottages oh, no, like, no, on no, the no. water. I'm like, this oh is This is not $3 million. This is double digit million. Yeah. Like she showed me. You're, a, you're talking about their boathouse, the $3 yeah. million. Dollar yeah, boat. exactly. <laughs> she, she showed me this because uh, I, I guess one of her clients was selling their cottage. It was like, oh, yeah, no, no, like, you showed me it was that like one. 18 million. 18 million, yeah. Right? That's what it mm-hmm. sold for. And then she ended up treating the people that bought the cottage as well. It's like insane. Yeah. Insane, mm-hmm. insane, insane. Her insane, photos insane. look like she's constantly on vacation, but it's just her day to day work life as a mobile therapist in Muskoka. So I do a little bit of mobile and I'm not going to lie. Whenever I'm at a client's cottage and looking out into like, you know, sometimes Georgian Bay, because sometimes you go to their island. So they pick you up in the boat and you bring your massage stuff and they pick you up and then you drive out to the island and you just do your massages on the island and you head back home. And I often think to myself as I'm hearing the waves like naturally lap against the rock and like the sun is shining and the birds, I'm like, and some people are doing mobile massage with their view of another building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the view of nothing. Yeah. I'm some people are in a tiny 10 by 10 a... room. Yeah. Any massage therapists that are listening to this, I don't know, maybe time to think about relocating. All right. So tell me about the practice in, in, in Muskoka when you first started off, because it's really different probably than what it is now, I'm assuming. Maybe I'm wrong to assume so. Yeah. Well, so when I actually first started, I started at um, renting a room in a clinic because um, that's the safe thing to do. Right. You know, it's the in-between of doing your own thing and being an employee. Um, I enjoyed it. It was great. Great atmosphere. Great other girls that I worked with. Um And I was doing one day a week at this spa, which is actually at the Sherwood Inn on Lake Joe. Beautiful views. And, um, I was, you know, enjoying it. And I had a lot of really interesting clientele is totally different than my clientele. I had been seeing in Perry sound and, uh, sh- the owner of the spa, um, mid at the beginning of COVID essentially had to move away due to a family issue, nothing related to the spa. And, uh, when she said that she told me, I kind of stopped and asked her out of curiosity, what is your rent like? And when she told me my jaw did not drop and I I was like, okay, I might be interested in taking over the space then. And so she, you know, you know, she gave me a little bit of pointers and ideas on uh, what had worked for her and what hadn't and that kind of thing. And I kind of sat with it for a few days and I talked to family and uh, I decided, you know what, let's just do it because worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. I go back to working for somebody else, you know, like there's not a lack of jobs for massage therapists, but I feel like if I don't try it, I'm, I'm going to regret it. Are you comfortable in that decision? Because there's a whole bunch of, th- I see it all the time on Facebook. I think I want to go on my own. Some people will encourage that. Some people are like, don't do it. And blah, 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 blah. You seem, you seem like really open to the idea. Was there any apprehension about doing it at all? Well, there's always fear. Like there's always that fear of the unknown. And you're always going to wonder like, what if nobody comes to see me here? What if I can't make enough money? What if, you know, I don't like it? What if it's too hard? Um, That's interesting. But at the end of the day, that all kind of got pushed out because my big, what if I don't do it? You know, what if, what if I don't try and what if I miss out on something amazing? And I'm sitting there wondering forever, like, what if I had just taken that space? 
Do you, you know? Do you do the Amanda? Do you do the what ifs? I don't do what ifs. Do you do the what if? Of course, that always crosses my mind. I mean, even when back in 2015, when you said to me, like, I want us to quit our jobs and go full force into continuing education, like you just told the story at the conference, and you were right. like, and my wife was 100 percent supportive, and ha- sure, on the outside, I was like, yes, let's do this because I knew this is what you wanted to do, and I also knew we could figure out a way to make it work. But of course, in my mind, I was like, okay. What if people don't sign up for courses? Okay, what if we can't, like, of, of course those things were going through my mind. See, I don't, I don't do the what if, but then that also helps me because I don't do the what if if I didn't, if that makes sense. Like, I never sit around going, well, what if this doesn't work? But I also don't ever sit around going, well, what if I did that instead of not doing it? Do you see what I'm saying? I always just kind of make the decision, just go with it. And I'm like, it's going to work. Like, I, I, I don't have a choice at this moment. There's no turning back now. I think that's the whole There's a point the of whole no point return. of having like the fear though is when when there is a little bit of fear that is a, a driving force to say like I have to make this work because if I don't see forget I don't, what if if I don't like I, I have don't, kids and I, have I don't see a that as mortgage see, I, maybe fear for me is not the right word then but there is this point of there's no return like. I can't remember whose TED talk I was listening to and it hit me so hard. Uh, Maybe it wasn't even a TED talk, but it was someone talking about like the idea of like, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to sell shit. It might have been Gary Vee. I don't fucking know. Right. I I just want to sell shit. No, it wasn't. It was a TED talk. Anyway, and and the whole point of the talk was like, like that point of no return like you you need to get to that yeah, point of no return right so yeah it was like a dude that was like gonna sell shoes or something and it's not until like he ordered a whole bunch of shoes and had all of these shoes in his garage because he doesn't have a warehouse space he's like oh i guess i'm really doing this now and that's that point of no return because We're until really that it, until guess. that shipment of all these shoes came in it's just the conversation of i got this business where i sell fucking shoes Right. But I don't what if on that. I think it's maybe, cool. I, it's interesting to hear people that too. Yeah. I think it's people's different ways of processing it. But there's whether it's your point of no return, it's a fear, it's questioning. There's like, there's got to be something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Like, for example, this whole conference that we just did, I never, I, I know everyone else did, but never once did I think, what if no one shows up? What if what if we lose money on this? I never thought that for one fucking moment. I thought mm, people are going to show up and we'll make a coin on this. We're, we're, we're at least going to break even. We're not going to lose on this. There's no lose. The only thing I might have lost here is time, but you know that, that I make that up with the experience of doing this shit. And there was never a what if moment for me. Well, and this is, this is the great thing is like you have just, you know, upgraded quite a few levels by not having those thoughts. The reality is, so many of us have those thoughts and those are can be our limiting belief thoughts. Yeah. That's really, you know, don't get where me wrong. Don't get me wrong though. I think I'm an idiot for not having those thoughts, right? <laughs> I don't I don't think it's just I would never advise someone to do the stuff the way I, I go about doing it. But it's not being an idiot. You know how I always talk is. about I, I do everything. I don't know, Victoria, you can chime in if you're similar to me, but I I really listen to my instincts a lot. I think that's like the strongest the strongest communication I can have to make decisions is like, what is my gut telling me to do? And so, uh, you know, I brought up the example of when Mark wanted us to quit our jobs and go full force into continuing education. In my gut, I felt like this is going to work and I know we can make this work. And, you know, we've already thought about it. We've planned it out. Like we know what we're doing. Same thing with the conference. I wasn't scared when it came to the conference. Sure, you know, ticket sales were slower and things were, but 
I never once thought it wasn't going to turn out the way that we wanted it to. I mean, even if I go way back to like 15 years ago when we were going to move in together, I remember people saying to me like, you're 24 years old and you've been dating this guy for like seven months. Are you crazy? And I was like, I'll be fine. Everything's fine. I go completely based on like my guts telling me this is the right decision to make and I just go for it because if you don't just go for it you can ask questions all day long and then you get back to this point like Victoria said at the beginning where you might think back maybe I should have done that or what if I what would have been different if I had done that so I would rather just jump into something that I feel really excited about that feels right for me and even if there's some fear that's okay that's going to drive me to make it work because now it has to I've hit a point of no return if it doesn't work there's going to be negative consequences so now you're at a point of no return you've decided to take over this place let's rock and roll from there yeah so it was um we had literally just been allowed to go back to treating with very ambiguous language, uh, maybe two months prior. So I was like, okay, I'm open. I have to be one of those therapists who's going to treat people to some extent because now I have a space. Um, luckily, I did already have a couple mobile calls I was doing in that area anyways. And I felt it was also a really safe location because I was at the Sherwood Inn. So I rent a space from the Sherwood Inn. The Sherwood Inn has people come in as guests. I felt like, you know what, even if nobody else knows about me in the area, I have some kind of security. Let's just do this. So the first few months, I took it over in mid-September or the end of September or something like that. And uh, I, th- it, it's kind of an interesting season in Muskoka because you, the summer people have gone back to school. Well, school wasn't happening. Oh, yeah. So people who normally would be gone weren't. So it was crazy busy, way longer than it normally was. And I thought I would have some time to like get my feet underneath myself and like work this out. And I had a fully booked schedule really quickly. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? It is just me. I don't have a receptionist. I am still putting furniture in this place. Like I'm trying to do some little minor tweaks to make it mine. And like, I have to work full time as well and then, you know, do everything else. So it uh it all took off really quickly and I just realized like I need to work on hiring people as soon as possible, which is also not an easy thing to do in Muskoka because mm. the cost of living went up dramatically and all of the houses people were living in a lot of them got sold. Mm. So we have a massive housing crisis up here. So even if you can get somebody from further away to come up for the job, there's nowhere for them to live unless like literally I would have had to say, you can live in my spare bedroom, but you know, most people who the average person doesn't want to live with their employer. Right, right, right. It's <laughs> interesting. So yeah, shortly after I was lucky enough, I uh, found an esthetician who started working with me and uh, it was actually through a job share. So I joined my local chamber of commerce. I forgot to mention, I'm also now on the board of directors for the Chamber of Commerce for Muskoka Lakes. Uh, so that's another hat I wear. But I started by, um, I, I joined the chamber to get to know people and to get myself into the community because at that point, like, we couldn't really do anything face to face. So it was hard to go around and be like, hi, I'm new. Mm-hmm. Like, right. nice to meet you. Uh, so I joined that way. And she helped set me up with a, uh, another spa that had staff who may need extra hours to supplement income over the winter. And I was like, that I can I can take them 100%. 
So we were able to talk and work it out. And I had a part-time employee. Did you like the speed of which this was happening? Or in retrospect, you're like, I wish I just had the time to sink my feet in and set things up a little bit different? Or are you just embraced the speed and went with it? You know what? I don't know if it would have made enough of a difference. Yeah. Because the reality is, you'll overthink it. When you're just forced in there, like if you're thrown in the water, you learn how to swim. And I think if, because I'm such a researcher, I would have sat there and overthought the shit out of it. (laughs) And it would have been potentially better, but maybe not, you know, I I would have just delayed my timeline. You you say you're the researcher overthinker, and that comes from where? I want to hear the last time that you overthought and the results went away that you didn't want them to go. I want to hear when you overthought and it didn't work out for you. That enough that you recognize now I should not be giving myself too much time to overthink. Unless I got that completely wrong. I'm getting stoned. Um, that's a tough question. There, I mean, I would say sometimes in my response with others in certain social situations. Yeah. Sometimes if I, you know, I think it could have it definitely could have gone better. Okay, let's do this then. When you overthink and you and you found yourself in the moment of overthinking, how does that make you feel? Like do you get angry with yourself like fuck, why did I fucking do that? Or were you like, "Oh, okay, well, next time I I've I've, I've learned my lesson now." And next time I'm going to approach this differently. Like, how does that work for you? Because I know for me, whenever I just do something that I just get angry at myself at, I'm like, I'm I display pure anger. Like it's <laughs> it, I mean, it's like Yes, he yeah, does. Yes, he does. It's nothing but pure anger. And I'm mad at myself and I'm like, I'm never fucking gonna do this again. Doesn't I'm matter how many times I tell him, you need to take it easy on yourself. It was a mistake. Let's move on. So how do you handle when you when you've overthought and yeah. So I used to be the anger. I hugely, um, especially when I was young and I, the older and older I've gotten, the more I've gotten a handle on that. And then recently in the last few years, I've really focused on and recognized that mindfulness is not about, you know, being positive or whatever. Mindfulness is being able to recognize when you have an, a thought or an idea and not have judgment towards it. And so I've really been trying to embrace that. And it's, it's been really neat the way that you, when you slow down and stop for a second and think about where that thought's coming from, it doesn't have the same power over you. And so I I think now I don't have that. You just made me think of something that I just heard the other day. And I feel like it kind of describes like, as you're talking about mindfulness, I, I agree with you, like, you know, thinking having a thought and not having judgment that's definitely a part but for me when I think about how I've used mindfulness in my life because I also like you Victoria I can be an overthinker and I've started to notice what what has pulled me out of it is is exactly the situation with your clinic where my life is a lot more fast-paced now having two children and running multiple businesses like I don't really have time to overthink things I just have to do and it's actually helped me to become a little more um, I know it sounds crazy because, you know, you're saying slow down, but my busyness has actually made me become more mindful in what I'm doing because there's so many things to get done that I just have to start with a task and go with it. 
if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like I don't have time yes. to s- sit there and think, well, what if I did this? What if I, I just have to do it. And so I was talking with a friend the other day and she's planning an event for this coming weekend. And she was calling me, like I'm talking to the point where she's texting me at one in the morning, a cake or cupcakes? What do you think would be better? This or that, this or that. And it cupcakes. was, I said cupcakes. Right. But anyway, <laughs> and at one point I said to her, I think you need to slow down. Like the, you just need to make decisions. Like what, what do you really want? Make this, but also slow down. Like you're, you're getting way ahead of yourself. You're doing too many things at one time. And she said, yeah, you know what? Somebody else just told me the faster you go, the slower you are. I'm like, oh, yes. That's yeah. Exactly. So I actually call it perfection paralysis. Yes. And it's very true. The more you sit and ruminate on something, if you're an overthinker, the more you're likely to send yourself into a paralysis because you're worried about perfection. Yep. And I, I do, I still catch myself doing that, you know, when there's so many things to do. And I've told Mark this, I go, I get to a point of overwhelm when I have so many things to do that I will sit and stare at it all and do none of it. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to snap yourself out of it. How? Okay. So you who practices mindfulness and, you know, you do hypnosis. If you had a client like me, how do you, how do you snap me out of my paralysis? Well, so there's... A few things that I, because I have very high powered women I treat often. And it's very interesting because you can, as a massage therapist, you can feel it in their body. I actually had a woman the other day come in and she had to fill out her health history form, but she was like hovering because I knew she had this feeling of like, I need to get every minute out of this. I need to relax. And it was almost like that idea of like, I need to I schedule this relaxation. It's 12.01. I was supposed to start relaxing at 12 o'clock. Relax body. And it's <laughs> so, it made me recognize, like, I mean, I've done that. And so seeing that in her, I was like, okay. And she's asking me questions because, of course, her her daughter was also having an appointment. And, like, she's wondering about the logistics. And instead of responding to her about the logistics, I said, I can tell that you really have to care for a lot of people in your life and you often are the one who is left to do the scheduling, aren't you? And she's like, oh my gosh, how do you know? How could you tell? <laughs> and I just said, you know, I you remind me of myself at times where the best thing you can do is just accept that whatever is, is. And right now you have an hour to not be that person. And we can spend an hour just being quiet and being what you want from this hour. Like it's your hour. So you can choose to spend it thinking about this, that, and the other thing, or we can choose to just have a conversation about something totally unrelated or be quiet or practice breathing. And I often explain to clients how using breathing while you're getting massage and I'll cue them to breathe in certain ways actually also helps the muscles I'm working on to relax. So instead of fighting me when they're like, yeah, it's a good spot. It's like, <laughs> hey, now let's take three really nice deep breaths. And I want you to breathe into that area. And you can feel with every exhale, the muscle and every and the tissue and everything is just starting to relax. And they're like, wow, I didn't realize how I badly I really need to breathe. <laughs> I think most people don't realize how badly they really need to breathe. It's one of my educations at, at Greenstone. It's one of my educations. And the problem is breathing is such a people call it like a woohoo thing and a spirituality thing and a yoga thing. But the reality is it's very biomechanical. And so I created an education to explain to people why breathing is important. And I call it breathing for back pain, neck pain, and digestion. 
And I explain what muscles you use when you breathe deeply versus not breathing deeply, how that affects your nervous system, how that can contribute to neck pain and back pain, and how it can make digestion better or worse. And when you explain it in that kind of a context, people are all of a sudden like, oh, I really need, like, I can actually see the value in breathing better more than I mentally will feel better. Why are you staring at me? Because you were going to ask her a question and I cut you off. Sorry. I I'm stoned, so I was just trying to think of my question. Who's <laughs> there? Give him a minute, it'll come back. I was going to ask, basically, I was going to ask something along the lines of, and I'll just ask it if I can retrieve it full. You were saying about your client who the hour was hers, she can be whoever she wants to be in, and so on and so on and so on. And I was going to ask both of you guys, because again, maybe I'm a fucking alien, but I feel I don't have these moments very often where I'm not just being how and who I wanted to be, right? So I mean, like I created my career basically just to allow me to be however I wanted to be. And then I created everything else around, not created, but you know, I formed all these other relationships around me that allow me to just be however I really wanna be. And when you when you said that, like I, I can see that in people, I don't see it as readily as you do. And I didn't, because I, I would have never responded the way you did. It blows me away when someone is really in tune and aware of their surroundings, because I'm fucking not, I'm oblivious. And, and But one of the reasons why I'm oblivious is just because I'm just, I'm just being me and doing my thing all the time. And your response to her was something I would have never come up with. And now I'm like, well, because I feel like I'm always just me in most moments, then I, I miss out on a lot of things. Does that make sense? Did I make sense on that? <laughs> I'm, I'm missing part of the puzzle. So I have to be honest, a piece of it is genders. It comes down to we're taught from a very young age to care about everybody else's feelings all the time and to nurture and care about everybody all the time. And that, and here's, here's where that inner child healing work is really important because you can get better at it, but you have to first recognize that your incessant need to be on top of everything is something that was is subconsciously programmed in you that you need to change and you need to address. And men don't have that as much. And a great example I use for people is, and it depends on the home you were raised in and everything else. But I mean, a, a simple example is if you, depending on your age group too, when you were young and you had a family dinner and the dinner was over, I know as a woman, the expectation was we Clean, cleaned off the table and then started doing the dishes while the men would go off and sit in the living room and hang out and watch TV or do whatever they wanted to. Correct. And from a very young age, that was the expectation. And that is something that you learn. And it's really hard to reprogram if you don't even recognize it's that subconscious program that's happening. But any of these things that, that we're suggesting would, would need, needs not the right word here, but would there is a desire to reprogram is the desire only there because that programming doesn't suit that per like that's not what that person wants. do you know what i'm saying like if i didn't have a problem with that and i didn't want any of that to change and and i'm i i like that then there's do you see what i'm saying like because we're, we're almost saying like that's something that needs to be changed or should be changed or no i whatever, think the whatever. example was because she you were saying that you know you are maybe not as in tune you know you're you're not as empathetic i guess to everybody's feelings like you called yourself oblivious but that that uh 
feeling of really understanding where somebody is and being able to be so in tune with them to, you know, this woman who had to be on top of everything right. and scheduling okay, but to if, bring her down. If that, if, if, that, if that woman who felt she had to be on top of everything always wanted to be on top of everything, didn't like the idea of being under anything, do you know what I mean? Didn't feel like it was a burden, but felt like this is where, this is this And is, maybe this she is does want to be. She wasn't saying she needs to be. No, no, I'm asking, I'm asking. I'm just curious if the suggestion would be the same because that's generally an unhealthy behavior, even though someone might live and thrive in that behavior, just generally being unhealthy, would the suggestion be like, hey, maybe this might need to change. I'm, I'm genuinely curious about that. Yeah, so there's a few things to unpack there because- the one piece is, are they happy? Um, you know, and then are they happy because they know they're happy or is it happiness based off of what they they, they feel like they're living up to the expectation? Yes, yes. So that's a piece of it. But then another piece of it is, um, uh, so sometimes we don't know something doesn't serve us until we grow out of it. Right. So this is what kind of like self-discovery and self-growth it really is. It's, it's not saying that one part of you is bad. It's saying that sometimes that part of you serves you for a time. Mm -hmm. And then when you grow into a different area, it no longer serves you. So I think you have to look at where, where are you in your life? What do you want from your life? And then a bit other big piece is look at your health. If you, if somebody comes into me and they have high blood pressure and they have migraines and they have all these other, they have chronic low back pain. And then they tell me they're happy with the way they're running their life. Well, your body is not. So, I mean, if you, and then you're eventually going to tell me you're unhappy with the part of your life that is your body, mm-hmm. AKA the pain. So, you know, like you have to really examine, like you can't separate what your body is telling you and what you're telling yourself. And sometimes you have to recognize that oftentimes these responses we have are at one point they were to keep us safe and happy and healthy but where we are now in our life, they don't serve us. Were you relating that to yourself? Like I was going back to that that episode we did with Julie on self-care. Where and I said, I know I have unhealthy habits. Yeah. So, But I, I, but I enjoy those unhealthy habits. In case habits. Victoria hasn't heard it all, I'll give you the short version of that. So you were describing this high-powered woman that's on top of everything. And Mark, you know, was saying, I'm blown away that you were able to tune in with her, that she needed to be brought down for an hour and just chill. And, you know, he he sort of was saying he always gets to just sort of be and he's created his job the way he likes to do. So in in that, he works constantly. But Mark is happiest when he's working. Like he's happy if he wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and can't sleep, he's happy to start editing a podcast or start editing video for massage therapy media or, you know, like he's he's happy to be working. He He genuinely enjoys working and doing stuff for the career that he created, right? All these businesses he created and he loves doing it. Other people would look at him like, you know, I joked at the beginning and say, you're a robot. Like he doesn't really take a lot of time for things that people traditionally call self-care. He doesn't take a lot of time to like go outside in nature, go for a walk, um, exercise. I keep my shoes on in the dirt. Yeah. (laughs) So with that, we had a whole episode with um, a therapist from British Columbia named Julie who was saying, you have to determine what is self-care for you. And for him, he feels calmest when he's being productive and getting stuff done. Like that doesn't cause him stress. What causes him stress is taking time away and then feeling like he didn't get all his work done. So I think that's, you know, that's where my head was going when you were asking her that question. Are you relating this back to yourself? Like, if I feel good in this, then 
then is it is it good? Yeah, I'm just curious. You know, you know if I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> asking for a friend. <laughs> so my challenge to that would really be, why do you feel like you always need to be busy? Like, what would happen if Absolutely all nothing. of this was taken away from you? Absolutely nothing. I know nothing will. I know if I don't do this thing that I gave myself the deadline for, and I miss it, nothing detrimental, nothing bad is going to happen. But he'll still get angry if he misses the deadline that he created for himself. And there are many, there are many times that I do miss the deadline, or I give myself an extension, and I'm like, you know, because it just, it doesn't fucking matter at the end of the day, right? So I mean, I recognize that I do that to myself, and I also recognize if I didn't do this to myself, really nothing bad going to happen. (laughs) i think it's a really hard world when you love what you do it would be so much easier if you could say well i hate my job but i do it for money then people be like well that's unhealthy but when you love what you do it is a great question where's the line of you know i'm going to use the word workaholism Mm -hmm. right where are you really using it as a coping tool to not to avoid other things and that's a hard question. I would feel like he's using it to avoid me, but I'm his business partner, so he doesn't get to avoid me whether he's working or at all. <laughs> There's a lot of really interesting. So when um, high-powered business people, when they sell their companies, um, they often go into a really serious depression. Right. And it's because sometimes it's because they equated their value with that business. Yep, yep. So for some people, it can be unhealthy 100%. For other people, it's just they need to start another business. They need a new bone to chew on, yeah, to yeah. work on. You know, they, wa- they want to keep grinding. Well, like in my scenario, for example, all I've done is substitute my hobbies for work because work is kind of like a hobby for me. So instead of playing as much guitar as I used to, I'll do this thing at work more. Instead of riding my motorcycle as much as I used to and building bikes, I'll do this thing at work more. It's just a substitute for a fucking hobby, basically. But I want to go back to your practice because I want to know when did you, like what made you do the hypnotherapy stuff I want to know, are you adding this stuff in as an interest to you? I want to learn this stuff and I can see how it can be helpful to people. Are you adding this in because my clients are in need of something different than what my skill set is and therefore I want to add to my skill set? A bit of both. A bit of both for sure. Because one piece of it is I do find it fascinating. I do feel like it has so many good applications, both in my own life and in my client's life. But I also, the biggest disconnect that really makes me upset um, is the fact that most people in manual therapy treat the body as if it's this mechanic working thing. And if I treat this muscle, it's going to solve your knee pain. And the reality is that's not true. And it's just not, there's, we really fool ourselves into believing we have more power to change things in the body than we do. And I really think a little bit of it is like, low-key ego driven, you know? Um, and I can, I found myself falling into that trap too. I wanted to say, well, your neck pain hurts because your posture, your, you know, this just needs to be strengthened that this and that. And the reality is it might give them short-term results, but it's not giving them the real change they need in their life. And part of that is because pain is not a purely physical experience. It's just not it. There's so many other factors contributing to pain, but we are treating pain as if it is a biomechanical problem. Even though we say we use a biopsychosocial model, it makes zero sense. We're not using a biopsychosocial model because we're only allowed to treat 
the biology. I think when it comes down to biopsychosocial, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I agree with you that pain is not completely physical. But I think also a lot of therapists would hear this and say, well, I do use a biopsychosocial model, even without using something like hypnosis, because there are a lot of um, psychological aspects even to miss. Okay, so for example, there's, there's this cycle, you're in pain, you know, you want to, you know, you want to exercise more and strengthen something, but you're in pain. And if you can get temporary relief of the pain from massage, and feel a little better and, you know, get your, your mood up a little bit, then maybe you can move more and then you want to come from, you know what I mean? You get into this whole mm-hmm. cycle. So there, there is an aspect of biopsychosocial, even if you don't have, I mean, I'd say for therapists who are actually thinking that way. Um, but I agree with you that there's also a lot of ego in any industry, but definitely a lot of ego in our industry where somebody comes in and the therapist is like, yeah, I can fix that. Oh, you have, you have frozen shoulder. Yeah, I can fix that without actually thinking about, well, why did, why did this happen? And I think, so the other big piece of it for me is the words that are used to describe our body. And this is where I really recognize we have a huge lack, you know, starting to come out more. I'm seeing more articles about, you know, be aware of the words you use with clients because it can affect the outcomes, but we don't realize how true that really is. And I think the reason I I got I actually messaged you to get on this podcast was because that day I had a client who was just screaming that. So she I uh, hadn't seen her in a while because my schedule's been so busy she couldn't get in with me. She went to see somebody else. Um, had a great experience, but the massage therapist made a comment to her, and she's already a bit of a nervous kind of person. And and the massage therapist made a comment saying, while she's massaging her neck, she said, "Oh." Your neck's really odd. I can't feel your spinous processes like I normally would. And of course, to her, she was like, what's wrong with my neck? So she comes into me and she says, this is what she said. Can you check out my neck and see if something's wrong? And in my head, I'm like, why would she say that? Like, you can think it, sure. But you have to recognize that when you tell somebody who doesn't know the body and doesn't understand the body and feels like an alien in their body and things are just happening to them, that when you tell them that you can't feel something in their neck, of course, they're going to jump to something must be wrong with me. And when saying something must be wrong with me, you're now hyping up their nervous system to create more pain. You're literally priming them to have more neck pain without even thinking about it. And now this person comes into me and they're like, yeah, my neck's been really bad lately. And so I literally asked her when she said that to you, how did it make you feel? And she was like, well, it made me feel really worried. And I was like, and what happens to your nervous system when you're worried? And she's like, well, I guess it's more heightened. Well, if you have a heightened nervous system, guess what? Your body's going to create more pain to protect you. You look like you're in deep thought over there. <sighs> I'm sort of in, de- I'm not in deep thought. I'm never in deep thought. I agree with everything you're saying. I agree with you that words matter. I don't agree entirely because... Uh, I just don't like big blankets like that. So for example, if you were to say that to me, I wouldn't care. I would you know what I mean? So like I I I'm not disagreeing with you. Don't I don't want to make this sound like I'm disagreeing with you. But I also don't want us always to think like we have to I'm it's coming off really bad. <laughs> I don't mean I'm not saying don't be mindful about your words. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that words don't matter. Yes, they do. I also want us to recognize that words matter a lot to some people and sometimes they don't matter a bloody thing to absolutely anybody. I don't know where the skill comes for a therapist to be able to navigate that 
And I think that's maybe part of the problem. It's not so much like, mm-hmm. I don't know that I shouldn't be saying this. It's more, I don't know who I can say this to and not say this to. Versus well, I'll give you a great example. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. how you know. Yeah. If somebody comes into you with low back pain and says, my back is a mess, you need to be really careful about the words you use with that person. Because saying my back is a mess, what image does that give you? I'm I'm the wrong guy to ask because I say these types of things and I don't I don't necessarily attach anything. So to here's where it comes very interesting. So this is where hypnotherapy comes in. Yeah. Because what we don't recognize is that there are specific rules of the mind that they've recognized in your subconscious. So your subcon your conscious brain is your you know figuring it out kind of brain. It's the one that's a little bit more active. Sometimes your subconscious is the one that's seemingly in the driver's seat but it's the autonomous part so it it listens and it hears everything and it makes decisions based off of that so it listens for really descriptive words and description and imagination is incredibly powerful for the mind Mm -hmm. and it will lock on to those ideas way more than it will do to logic and knowledge and facts so if you can paint a picture it will make it a lot better for a client or worse. So when clients use big descriptions of like, it's a mess, it's a disaster, I'm broken. Broken is a big one. Guess what? If you tell your subconscious mind that your back is broken, it's going to create more pain because to your subconscious mind, a broken back is dangerous. I want your take on this then. In in this scenario, um, I had a patient over a year ago, and I was probably the sixth or seventh practitioner she had seen. And she had chronic back pain. And she used words like, I'm broken, my back is a mess. Like she actually had been for tons of imaging because she mm-hmm. had convinced herself something is very wrong. But every mm-hmm. manual therapist she went to was saying, like essentially not these words, but essentially there's nothing wrong with you. And that mm-hmm. got to the point where when she showed up to me, she's bawling her eyes out. Cause she was like, I'm not fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Everybody's telling me it's in my head. I'm not crazy. There is something there. So this is, this is the really interesting part is people assume it has to be this one or the other. It's not because just because it's not caused by a biomechanical trigger doesn't mean it's not a physical experience. Phantom limb pain is still pain. It's not not real. It's not in your head. You're physically experiencing it. They can map it in your brain. They can map, like, they can see nerves activated along a pathway. It's not in your head. It's a physical experience. Yeah. The difference is, though, when you can, what I use with my clients a lot of time is I call it a low risk, high reward treatment. I ask them what activities they, f- they feel are most dangerous to them. So, you know, if it's low back, maybe it's picking up a a basket of laundry. Sure. We need to, you know, make sure that we are still moving well and we're get everything lubricated. We're drinking enough water. We're doing all the good things for our body. hundred percent. We need to still include that. But the second piece, if you're doing all that and nothing is changing, I ask, okay, well, I want you to do me a favor and just indulge me. Every time you go to pick up that laundry basket and you're worried it's going to hurt, I want you to, to instead say, I have been working on strengthening my back. My back is strong and I am capable of doing this task and then do the task and we're put it on repeat because the problem is when you use words like I'm broken, this is dangerous. I can't do that. You'll never get better is one I hear all the time. 
you're kind of creating a limiting belief for them. And it's it makes me really upset because these clients don't know how powerful or how capable they are because it's been taken from them by words like broken and never get better. And that's as far as you'll be able to move it. And the reality is there's a lot of really interesting research on people who did not accept that as an answer. And I mean, just look at neuroplasticity in general. And they've been able to make what are called miraculous changes. And nobody can seem to understand why. And maybe the reality is that it was as simple as they said, that's not what I'm resolved to be. That's why Mark never gets sick. This dude lays in bed beside me and never <laughs> never gets sick because he constantly says, I don't get sick. I'm a robot. <laughs> he's just rolling his eyes at me right no I'm not because I'm, uh, I'm just I'm, I'm just taking it all in I'm thinking a lot and I'm thinking a lot in that we really have to we really have to define this type of pain that we're talking about then so we're talking about chronic pain here right? yes which is very different than I just ruptured my MCL and doesn't right. matter. Right, 100%. Course, exactly. yeah. 100%, so I just want to, yeah. I just want, because some, some yes. Yahoo's listening to this right now, <laughs> going, <laughs> going, my ACL, let me just tell myself that I can do this thing. In no, my, if you've ruptured your ACL, yes. please don't do that thing. You yes. can't yet. <laughs> cannot do that thing. But here's the thing. Um, I mean, we see it all the time with disc So I have a disc herniation. Does it limit me in any way? No. I have a torn meniscus. Does it limit me in any way? No. I have a torn PCL. Does it limit me in any way? Like a tiny bit. But the reality is I knew when it was when it was acute. Yeah, I have to strengthen that. I have to do all of the things. I got fascial therapy. I was seeing, you know, a sports chiro. I was doing, I was doing all the things to ensure that I was, you know, creating a foundation where I could get better. But one thing I refused to tell myself was that it wasn't going to get better. Because I was like, well, if I tell myself that, what if it doesn't? You know, I'm just setting myself up potentially for failure. So there's things I can control and there's things I can't control. But if if what's going to make the difference is me saying my knee is getting stronger every day and that makes a difference, who cares? That's a low risk, high reward treatment. That's way safer than, you know, taking Advil, really. Yeah, I definitely I'm definitely on board with that. You know, what's interesting, actually. And now I, I wish I could go back uh, six years ago. Six years ago, I was um, doing a talk at a massage therapy expo about limiting beliefs when it comes to business. It had nothing to do with pain or patience. I was talking about changing your mindset to improve your overall practice and your business as a manual therapist. And at the end of the talk, somebody approached me oh, about how, you know, research was yes, suggesting yes. suggesting the exact opposite when it came to, I think he used the example of cancer patients. So he was showing me all this research about how whether or not the person, uh, the person's mindset was, you know, their attitude towards recovery was positive or negative, had no impact on whether or not they went into remission and, you know, ultimately their, their body healing. And I just stared at him because I was like, one, I'm talking about business here. Like, I have no way. I was also like eight and a half months pregnant. I'm like, I really have to even pee. If, I don't want to listen. Even if you weren't pregnant, <laughs> the response was, I'm just talking about business. Yeah, I was like, I'm talking about business. It's sufficient. But now listening to you, and I mean, I've I've read other things, you know, I've I've read, you know, about the body healing itself and I've read uh, books and things like I, I'm, I'm with you on all of that and your brain is very powerful and I, you know, I've, I've read a lot of research on neuroplasticity and all of this stuff and I now wish I could go back six years and remember the research that he was showing me on cancer patients 
And I wonder if any like follow up studies have been done. I don't know if you know, Victoria, anything about people with I know we're talking about pain here. But when it comes to disease, has there been any studies done about um, mindset and limiting beliefs in recovery for like diseases? Well, yeah, here's the thing is, I think regardless, nowadays with the internet, you can find research either way. The argument is it is it credible research is always a good one. Um, Is it you know, but I think, I think a great example of why that isn't true is the placebo effect. I mean, the fact that the placebo effect is a thing and it is so prevalent, um, you you can't really tell me that your body can't make a physical change based off of what you think. And even if you want a super simple example, when you get nervous, a lot of people, your palms will sweat. That is a physical response to a feeling. When you get anxious, your heart rate increases. That is a physical response to a feeling or a thought. Yeah, There are really powerful monks who have used, you know, I don't even know what they're using, like a super powerful biofeedback, mindfulness, I don't know what. But they are able to, and they've done studies where they actually have, you know, they're doing brain scanning and everything else and have them hooked up to biofeedback. And they literally tell them, okay, I want you to now warm up the blood in your left hand. And they can by thinking about it, by utilizing their body and brain connection to do these things. So I think there's a lot we don't know. And it's not one of those things where I want to ever diminish somebody's pain because people are in, in real pain. This pain is not made up. I, I deal with addicts all the time who started because they were taking pain medication. But we're not educated well in the fact that there's lots of studies that show that chronic use of opioids increases your sensitivity of pain. So we know that, but yet we're not, you know, we're not giving them better options. And oftentimes it's because they think when I tell them that the option is like, let's try this low risk thing of just saying we feel better. Like what's the worst that's going to happen? Maybe it does nothing. Okay. But it also didn't hurt you. Like you were just slightly more positive. Like just that's, that's always my sell to people is just try it. And worst case scenario, it does nothing for you. Best case scenario, it dramatically helps your pain. And what's the harm in encouraging that? Yeah. I mean, mindset obviously matters in a lot of things. Like I said, in business, in healing. I mean, I tried using it all week. All week, I was like, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I think those monks can like just pass a polygraph anytime they want. Probably. Probably. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You, they can warm their blood in their hand just Absolutely. by thinking about it. Oh, yeah, they can. I'll tell a lie. My blood pressure and my heart rate, my respiratory rate will stay the same. I have no basis for saying this, but I feel like monks don't lie. Well, yeah. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> they might not have to try to pass a polygraph. They just would. <laughs> yeah, that's, just, that's true. <laughs> I, think, I think the interesting thing, though, about I the comment you made about your mindfulness for being sick is here's the interesting thing about the brain is it doesn't actually work well with with not and can't so this is where it's really interesting is when i look into more people and how they utilize this effectively and how i utilize this effectively in my own clients is we change the word to i am healing quickly uh, see it's I've like been, the rule I've been of doing affirmations all week <laughs> it's a general rule of affirmations it's yeah and and this really is just it is when you learn like simple tricks about how the mind yeah 
can work against you without you even realizing it, then you realize, hey, maybe I'm way more powerful to actually yeah. do these things than I than I realize. First person, present tense talk. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. I know I brought all of this on myself and I've already told Mark this. The entire time we were at the conference, those five days that we were there working, 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 and I, like I said, running on fumes, just I'm here, I'm there, I'm barely eating, I'm just working, working, working. There, every night we went to bed, I said to him, like, my body can't take much more. My body can't, like, I knew this was coming. My body couldn't take much more. She's mad. She's mad now. I, I knew it was coming a little bit too. One of our partners actually said, could you, asked me, can you slow down, please? Because Amanda needs to slow down and she's just going to go along with you right now. Can you please slow down? And we did not slow down and it's fine. Everything's fine. I wanted to, you know, in your original message, Victoria, um, there was a lot of things like we've just heard you do a lot of different things. But one of the things that first caught my attention when you wrote it was um, the fact that you are, where is it here, that you, you do this chronic pain education at an addiction treatment center. Tell me a little bit about this. How do you get into this? Um, so I started by, I was just massaging there. And I think it's amazing that they have massage as part of their program. Uh, it is a private program. So, I mean, it's not like it's Ontario government funding it, but um, I think it's amazing that they even recognize that massage can have a positive effect on people when they are going through withdrawals and different things like that. And a lot of these people, I mean, one thing that I love about massage therapy is that we have this opportunity to give caring touch to people. And when you're an infant and when you're a kid, ideally in a perfect world, you get lots of caring touch. But the older and older we get, especially if you don't have kids, you get less and less of it. And by the time you're an adult, if you're not in a caring relationship or have a kid, you may not get any at all. And so for somebody to be able to give you caring touch for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, you know, we know that that has huge biological benefits as well as mental benefits. Um, So... I mean, I love just doing massage for these clients and you see people from all different backgrounds, all different, um, you know, we call them DOCs or drug of choice um, and different histories and stories. And some of them have, you know, severe physical limitations due to infections they had or injuries, car accidents. Some of them were in the military. Um, So I saw all these people and they were all struggling but what I saw most often was every people would come to me and say, yeah, my back hurts because I have a herniated disc. And there's so much research that says maybe, but maybe not. They have done studies where they did radiographs of, you know, people the same age group around their 50s. Half of them had severe low back pain. Half of them did not. When they did imaging, both came back with uh, things like degenerative disc disease and herniated discs. So the question is, why is half of them in severe pain and the other half is not? And, you know, I think it goes back to that whole causation, correlation kind of talk of like, what what is really causing the pain here? And I think if we can step outside and think, well, what if the disc herniation isn't what's causing the pain? What if it just happens to be there and you happen to also have pain? If we can come at it from that approach, then maybe we can have a better outcome because I think we all see it in our practices all the time is sometimes you feel like people are just doing the same thing over and over and over again, and people aren't really getting better. Well, 
maybe it's because we're taking the same approach. Maybe we need to try different approaches. And this is some clients, it's easy. Some clients, it's like, I'm like, okay, let's pull another trick out of the hat and figure out what else we can try to help because everybody's experience is going to be different. So I realized that there was this disconnect between, and I, I thought of even my own history, like at what time in my history as an athlete, when I hurt myself, did somebody explain to me what pain even is? You know, I assumed it was like, oh, pain is a bruise. Pain is uh, tissue damage. Well, no, it's it's not. And people can be born without pain. Like there's a condition, right? So I think it just came from wanting to explain to people like pain doesn't have to be scary because pain education actually has shown that even just educating people about what pain is can reduce people's pain. May not, but it could. And I think just that in itself could be really powerful. So I kind of actually pitched it to them and said, hey, I'd love to do some education and talk to people about a few things. Um, And I kind of pitched them on what I thought would help them, especially when it comes to people who assume that their opioids are the only reason they can stay out of pain. And, you know, obviously as an addict, you can't believe that because it's going to be really hard for you to ever get better as we know the amount of, you know, opioids and now a whole other classes of drugs that are highly addictive, whether it's behavioral or emotional or physical or all of the above. That I mean, that to me sounds like a super rewarding part of your job. You get to work with people and potentially help them to do something to help with their pain and get them off of medication. Like that's, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to that. Like that's the reason I became a massage therapist. And that's really cool that you actually get to work in a an addiction treatment center working with people who really really need you the most i i I honestly i love it and it's it it is hard sometimes because there's such these ingrained ideas that if they aren't on morphine they will not be able to walk but i mean a lot there's a lot of things that have said otherwise in research and so it's one of those like let's explore other ideas because Let's be honest, the morphine is not doing it for you right now. It is making so many other problems in so many other areas of your life. And I mean, in the last few years, addiction has taken the lives of so many people and it needs to be a bigger conversation. How do you know when to and when not to have the talk? Um, so it's a lot of asking questions. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand like what, where are they as far as fear-based? Like how fear-based are they? What do they believe? And oftentimes I'll use other tools to explain how the nervous system communicates with the skin to create pain. And um, I, I'm huge on kinesiology tape. I love it. I have treated so many really cool cases with it, like MS, fibromyalgia. I had, uh, you know, severe um, scars that created neuropathies and all of these people found success just using kinesiology tape. And when I explained to them, you know, how kinesiology tape can create a different conversation in their body, they, it, I think it opens the door to, for them to feel empowered that they, there can be a change in their experience of pain. Because when you have chronic unrelenting pain, and you've never had anything help. And then all of a sudden I put a piece of tape on your skin. Mm-hmm. People would come back and they're like, I don't know what you did. I don't know what you did, but mm-hmm. can you do it again? Yeah, the brain is really powerful. Like you said, figuring out what they believe. And if someone believes the only way to get through life is my morphine, breaking that belief 
is is the first thing you got to do. And that's really hard. So I mean, if you could do it with something as simple as using some kinesiology tape and then getting them at least open to the idea of like, there are other ways, other things we can do to deal with your pain. That's pretty cool. Has, and I'll just keep calling it the talk because it's just easier. Has, have you had difficulty with the talk? Have you had have you had blowback from the client that just is like not into it, doesn't get mm-hmm. it, doesn't want to hear it, and then how, mm-hmm. and then how do you? I know I can assume how you deal with it is just to meet them where they're at, obviously. But in other words, I can I can imagine this scenario being frustrating as fuck when you're like, there's so much I can inform you with that can help you out so much but your your inability to hear it in these moments or your unwillingness to hear it in these moments for lack of a better way of saying it um it it can just be really frustrating i imagine yeah i mean at the end of the day like i i genuinely want to help people and so it is it is hard sometimes when like you can see a light but they can't um and sometimes that's why i think massage therapy is really powerful because you can be that light for them in a way uh, I've had clients where, you know, I, I can I softly kind of bring it in. I can tell there's a lot of resistance. And then I ask more questions, you know, like why, when were those, you know, when was the imaging done? You know, what are the things have you tried? I really try and get a good picture of where they're at as far as their journey, because there's a big difference in somebody who's who thinks they've tried everything and the person who has just recently been diagnosed. How long, did, something. It, how long did it take you to develop the skills of being able to ask the appropriate questions and get the appropriate information. Cause I imagine at some point in the game, you know, you, you pull the trigger too soon or, you know what I mean? Or you're a little too hot on the moment because Hey, it's just experience. And you hadn't had that at what point in the career it is like, okay, I'm, I'm in the groove here. I, I've, I got this down a little bit. I think it's always getting better, honestly. Like it's because everybody is so vastly different that you can't, paint everybody with one brush. And I think what I love about all of my things that I do is I get to meet people from vastly different backgrounds. So I mean, my military people, you learn very quickly what they respond to and what they don't. And military people are very interesting because they are very um, almost institutionalized in a sense of like, they want order and form and they will obey instructions. So if you can explain that there's other instructions out there and you can get them to understand that um, you know, it's not necessarily that they have to go against the authority. It's that they just have to find a different authority. They're much more open to it than if you say, you know, fuck the system. Right. Victoria, are you open to um, giving out information? Like, do you have a social contacts? It, it, I'm sure there's people listening to this who just find what you do really fascinating and might want to follow you. Are you open to giving out any information for people? Yeah, for sure. Um so I mean my my Instagram is Vika V I K K A H. Um, and you can find me there. And I I to be honest, I do not post a ton of information online. I'm trying to get better about that, but it's hard to sum up in quick videos what the information is. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Victoria Hama. Um, or I can always give you guys my email address if anybody wants to shoot me a message. An email. My clinic in Muskoka is called True North Movement. Movement spelled M V M N T, and our Instagram is at True North Movement. So you can always find a little bit of information there as well. But yeah, I I think that you know the more we can have more conversation about chronic pain and 
different ways of approaching it because clearly the approach we're taking hasn't been very effective. You know, chronic pain's not going away and we need to be on the forefront of helping people get better. I want to know what you tell the person that says your your intent and your approach to treatment is out of scope of practice. Because there is a dude that I know, for example, he would jump all over this and he'd say, that's out of If you even mention the words relaxation massage, if you go to him and you say, I want a relaxation massage, he would say, I cannot do that because that is not within my scope of practice. And you're you're, you're, you're way on the other side of that. So I want to hear what you would say to that person that says, hey, what you're doing, maybe not physically what you're doing with your patients and clients, but your intent of what you're doing behind your touch isn't necessarily scope of practice. Relaxation, is that a scope? Oh, man. I'm just telling you what this, <laughs> I'm just telling you what this dude says, right? And All right, so, I want to hear and, Victoria. And, and when he says this, there are a lot of people that jump in and say, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I agree. So I'm, I'm really curious. Oh boy. I think that understanding, you know, let's go back to the relaxation. Okay, well, if you're stimulating a muscle to relax, is that not relaxation? Are tense muscles relaxed? You know, like there's, I think it's, I think it's a, people like that do drive me nuts because it's semantics. Like exactly. If it you want to find a problem, you'll find a problem. So what do you say to that person? I want before I want... Victoria answers. Can yeah, I just yeah. remind you that like, I don't know about you, Victoria, but when I went to massage therapy school, yeah. we used Rattray's book, okay. clinical massage therapy, right? Every fucking treatment of that book. When you go through the treatment protocol starts with decreased sympathetic nervous system firing. So yes. I like yeah. I don't know how to talk uh -huh. to people like that then. Like that's literally what we learned as day I, one. I'm just telling I'm just I'm just don't shoot the messenger. So yeah, Victoria, what what do you say to people? I mean, forget even the whole relaxation thing. The fact is because you you're also a hypnotherapist. And I know obviously you can't do these things in combination because of course hypnotherapy is out of our scope. So you obviously have to separate your two your two modalities, but I'm sure that there would be people who are questioning your intent and your scope with you know mm -hmm. the type of knowledge you have. I think the big piece is I come from a very I, I really structure everything from a research base. So I will find the you know like I'll talk about how the study of disc herniations, and then I leave it to them. Like okay, so then because the next question they always ask me is well then why do I have pain? And I say I don't know. I don't know. I know that research has said this, 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 or this. Do I know beyond that? No. If it's, and if it's a conversation they want to have further, I explain like I do more education for chronic pain that is more than massage therapy and more that I can do with massage therapy. And quite frankly, with clients, I'm very honest and say massage therapy is amazing, but it has limitations in what I, I am able to do and say. Yeah. Because we have to maintain a professional relationship and a professional boundary so that you never feel like I am um, misusing my title to get you to believe or buy into something that is against your comfort zone. So, you know, I think, again, that that person, that extreme person, I'm sure I'm making them very angry. But <laughs> Don't worry, I can't listen. do anything if, about if, that. If they have that thought process. They're not listening to us. We're all good. <laughs> I, I want to ask you guys a question then. When it comes to this whole scope of practice and, and Amanda was very clear just to, to say on, on the mics that you separate, you're definitely not stepping in, you're not blending different ideas together. 
What would be the harm in doing so? I mean, aside from, yes, okay, this is what's in the Massage Therapy Act, and this is what the legislation says, and blah, 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 blah. What would be the problem doing so if your intent in both areas, we'll just say these dual areas, is to help this patient, you're fully qualified in both areas to help this patient. The patient is fully aware of your intent and how you're using these dual things to help them. Then who cares? I don't care. There's absolutely no harm. Like, and I think everything Victoria has said is proof that combining therapies like this actually I mean, makes a lot of fucking sense. But I mean, even... <laughs> Even from even I, I, I'm just all over the map because I understand it from, you know, a college policy legislation standpoint. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're duly qualified to do something and these things just blend together, then I don't I don't get it. Especially it's not like you're it's not like you're misinforming somebody and it's not like you're taking them for a ride. You're not taking advantage of someone that's vulnerable here and you're informing them on what you're doing. The thing is, massage therapy is regulated. And so when you're bringing in something that is unregulated. Okay, but even, even if something is regulated, no, I, I still have to separate. I know. I'm with you. I'm just saying like this would be an area where it's too easy for people to say, you know, I, I do any, I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm the, I'm okay, this. but what if she was a registered psychotherapist? Why can't, why can't that, why can't these two things happen simultaneously? I actually, I, I honestly, I've thought about this a lot because I'm like, I think it would be so powerful if I could have that person, trauma therapist there while I do massage. Do do you know how amazing that treatment would be? Like, it'd be unreal. Like that person would be able to go physically and mentally so much better than us doing things individually. And like, I love working at an addiction treatment center because we really communicate well with each other about everything that's said and heard and everything. So we can have a good idea of where that client is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's unfortunate, but part of the problem is that a lot of people don't believe it's connected enough. Can I say something a little on topic, but off topic? Cause I'm stoned and I'm going to forget. Do you think that the amalgamation of like colleges, like what's happening in BC BC. would allow for this type of thing to happen? I I still don't see it. I mean, especially in a place like BC where like their rules are like a chokehold. I don't know. You got to remember that it's always the few that ruin it for the many. So, you know, for 90, 99% of us, this is fine. But then there's that 1% that uses it as the opportunity to do bad things. Right. And I mean, as you were saying, we started this whole talk about how much language matters. So if if we started saying, like, I, I agree with you, having a trauma therapist, a psychotherapist, a hypnotherapist, any, any of these types of therapies in the room with you while you're offering massage and actually connecting mind and body the way we're supposed to be, it would it would be amazing. But then there's going to always be that few that are then using language that is inappropriate and making claims that are inappropriate and then fucking it up for all of us. I'm so eloquent tonight. Yeah. And I'm again, like it's, it's every industry. It's every type of per. There's always that 1% that ruins it for everyone else. You know, the reason we have speed limits and, you know, laws like that is because if we didn't, there would be that one person in court saying, well, I, I, it's, I shouldn't be held responsible because there was no speed limit. I'm pretty well, sure the reason that like uh, takeout coffee cups say caution hot mm-hmm. is because some dumbass spilled their coffee on themselves <laughs> and like sued the, 100%. sued the cafe, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
or why peanut butter says may contain nuts. Right. <laughs> right. Although technically are peanuts nuts? That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> This was really fun, Victoria. I, I'm so super sad now that we didn't get to meet you in person and that, you know, my body fell fell into the trap of sickness. But hopefully we can do another episode sometime or do something else together because I find all of the work had, you're doing super interesting. Oh, Mark has another question. Well, yeah, before I lose <laughs> it, because I'm curious because you're, it seems like your work is really important to you. And your patients are really important to you or your clients. Let's call them clients just to be safe. Cool. Your clients are really important to you. If you had to, if you had to choose between doing it the way you want to do it, knowing that you're helping people in the maximum way possible that you can, but that also means you retire from being a registered massage therapist. Do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? No questions. And the reason is like, I love being a massage therapist. I think massage therapy is hugely valuable, but if you know, the rules to keep us doing the right thing, don't evolve as the world evolves and what, what people need and what is truly beneficial for people you know, it's the same as like if I was a doctor and I knew I couldn't provide proper care anymore, I wouldn't be a doctor. I can't. I just can't. Makes sense to me. I do. This was fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. But yeah, I was saying we need to somehow collaborate again and I will not be um, half dead the next time we speak, I hope. But I really appreciate you making these changes and talking to us in the corner. eh? Oh man. I'm sorry. I'm sure you heard that. Like I was coughing up my, like I am, I am not okay over here, but thank you so much for putting up with this voice. Telling yourself that you're getting better. I am getting better. Look, I'm here. I am here. It's like after 10 and I'm here. I am. I absolutely. If you guys want, I do have a cool, uh, it's called cell command therapy. It's a hypnosis recording that I can give you to fall asleep. And it just tells you all about your cells to make your cells better and keep, uh, you know, instilling those positive ideas to encourage cellular growth. I need that, man. I have to drive an hour and 45 minutes up north tomorrow with the two kids by myself. I'm going to need all the healing power I can get tonight. (laughs) Again, what's the harm, right? What is the harm? Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. This is so much fun. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks again. I mean, I'm glad that we did this because I just want more people to not say things like you're never going to get better. You'd be amazed at how many times I heard other massage therapists tell clients that. Who are these massage therapists? I want to know. I run into people like you guys all the time. I feel like everyone that I run into is like you guys. Do you know what I mean? Because I attract these people. Come, Come to our podcast. When you're all <laughs> positive and healing. Yeah. yeah I want to know. I want to know who they are. All right. If you are these massage therapists, text Mark 416. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Thanks, guys. You guys have been listening to two massage therapists and a microphone. Peace.